that, that is cool. That story, right? And you said some stuff there that I think like, yes, and amen, and forever. Wow. Where he said, like, until the end, I'm yours. And, you know, 98, 99% is not going to do it. Like, it's got to be 100%. He gets all of me. And really, that's why we exist, Crossroads Church. We exist to serve people toward and connect people to Jesus. Just like Jeff was able to find Jesus. And so we are going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to celebrate that through baptism, which is this outward expression of this inward change in our hearts and in our lives. Just like Jeff said, where he saw something and experienced something that was so profound, he's like, this is it. This is actually my purpose. This is what life is really about. And this is what I'm going to be for. And so a couple weeks back, we got to celebrate, you know, we're in this mission of uh, baptizing over 1,500 people over the next five years, right? And I don't know, some people might think like, oh, that's a really big number. Uh, When you look at how many people live in the area, it's actually a pretty small number. But I did the math wrong because I totally neglected to include four kiddos that got baptized over the summer. Did you guys see that video on Facebook or YouTube? If you haven't, you should check it out this week where we had uh, Jillian and Jackson and Evelyn and Christian all get baptized in someone's backyard. They're like, look, we can't wait. These kids want to follow Jesus and they want to express it through baptism. So can we celebrate that too real quick? Like, I don't care if you're young or if you're old, man, we want to help you find Jesus and follow him with your whole life. My name is Tim Griesbach, and I get the privilege of leading us in uh, worshiping God through his word today. And in the spring of 2006, I had a phone call, got a phone call from my best friend, Pete, that was just terrible. See, Pete and I had become really good friends in college. We went to Moody Bible Institute together. And it wasn't just the two of us. There were actually four of us, Matt and Ben and Pete and myself, who got to be really close friends because, I don't know if you know this, but certain Bible schools like Moody have this tendency where a lot of the people that show up kind of come in, you know, in order to get their degree so that they could go out on the mission field or get involved in ministry somewhere or just take that biblical education into their world, right? Like that's why they're there. But there's also sort of this side quest that seems to happen for people that go into Bible colleges. And it's like, I think I might meet the person that I'm going to marry, <laughs> Like the first couple weeks of Moody especially, we would have interactions with girls where they would like, I remember one specifically where, you know, I'm just trying to get to know the people around me. And as soon as I mentioned to this girl that I have a girlfriend back home, it's like, oh, okay, I will never talk to you again. Okay. And that was just sort of uh, this weird reality within Moody where a whole lot of the people were looking for coupling to happen over the course of their education there. Except for the four of us. We all had our significant others back home. And so Pete left Moody one semester before I did and got married. And then uh, so I was there in the spring of 2006. I was about to get married that summer and, you know, just thinking through life and all that. And I get this phone call from Pete. And over the course of the next few minutes, as he's explaining to me what's going on, I realized, like, oh, no. Like, part of the dream is falling apart. His marriage was unraveling. His wife was leaving him. 
And when it comes to divorces, it looked like it was going to be messy. And I'm just on the phone with my friend Pete, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And so by the end of the conversation, I said, okay, Pete, I actually have to let you go. I just bought a train ticket, uh, and I need to leave right now so that I catch that train. And also, can you please pick me up at the train depot near you in about 13 hours? Because I can't stay here if this is what you're going to go through. I have to be there with you. And so I hung up, got on the train, made my way out there. And over the next couple days, me, I came out, and then Ben came out, and Matt came out, and the four of us just sat there with Pete. And I remember we didn't really do anything that was impressive or like, wow, you guys just did so much caring for him. I mean, we sat around, we ate some food, we shared stories, had some beers. (laughs) But we were there, and I just remember this picture in my mind of sitting in the basement together with Pete and Matt and Ben and thinking, I am just so, so thankful that I've got these guys in my life as my friends. That we are not going to let each other go through life alone. That we've got each other's backs. That we're going to celebrate some really great stuff, and who knows what else is going to happen in the future. But we'll get through it And we'll get through it together. This weekend, we're going to continue our No Silver Bullets series by talking specifically about the role of spiritual friendships within our life when it comes to our spiritual growth. Each week, we've identified how there are no silver bullets when it comes to spiritual growth because spiritual growth happens within holistic community. And every single week, we've been trying to identify one of five different aspects or characteristics that we say make up a huge portion of that holistic community. We see biblical application where you're taking God's word and you're not just saying, I want to get smarter about it, but you're saying, I want to actually learn how to live it out in my life. We're looking at prayer and how to pray within the context of each other. Last week, Chris led us through the role of vulnerability when it comes to our spiritual growth within holistic community. Today, we're going to look at friendship. And next week, Pastor Matt will wrap it up by talking about missional living. And I'm really thankful that the Bible has quite a bit to say, actually, when it comes to friendships, which we're going to interact with today. Because I don't want to just take my best guesses and and when I look at culture as a whole, I mean, there's all kinds of places that you can go to to try to find good information. But man, I'm so thankful that God has given us truth that I can rely on when it comes to the role of, of friendships in my life for my spiritual growth. So we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 3, just a couple verses. And my hope is that we each find this a little encouraging and probably a little challenging, maybe a little convicting. I mean, I don't think preaching is really, hopefully, for your comfort primarily. Man, that would suck. (laughs) If you want comfort, you can go listen to something else, right? We want to grow. I want us to get stronger together. So let's see what God has to say about friendships in Hebrews chapter 3. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 
This passage poses a question. It's not obvious, but it poses this question, and it's this. How is it that you will persevere in your faith to the end? The book of Hebrews actually interacts with this question a lot, if you're paying attention and looking for it. This question of how are you going to persevere in your faith all the way to the end of your life? We believe that those who are in Christ will, but when we look at God's word, we also see that it's not this sort of magical thing that happens, but that God uses specific means to bring about this perseverance in us. And so while we have a lot of different ways, a lot of means that God uses in order to help us persevere in our faith all the way to the end, in this passage specifically, we see the role that other people play to that end. Do you see it there? Read parts of it again, right? Because there's a couple imperatives, and then there's this conditional statement, and it all cut, works together towards this warning. It says, take care, saying, hey, watch out. Be alert. There is a risk at play. And the risk is falling away from the living God due to an evil, unbelieving heart. So I'm like, okay, that sounds serious. So what is he going to say in order to help prevent that from happening? It says, exhort one another every day. Now, this word exhort is weird. I don't know how often you use that in your life. I don't know that I've, I've used it once today, but that's because I was preaching. Um, it's not a very common word, but it kind of has this wrapped up meaning of, uh, it, both, it can mean like comfort and encourage, but it can also mean challenge or to like call out. And it really has that second idea here. It's like this calling out, like call each other out, which by implications means have people around you that know you well enough to be able to call you out every day. I mean, they're going to have to know you. I wouldn't want someone calling me out that doesn't know me very well. That would be terrible. When we have that happen in our lives, we kind of have this like, no, thank you. But this is talking about having brothers, having family members, having close friends in your life that are able to call you out. And their calling out has this effect of reinforcing truth which is actually really, really important because we see at the core of this passage that the main threat for us is that we might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The enemy really likes to lie to people. And he's really good at it. He's smarter and faster and stronger and cleverer than we are. And he is so good at crafting lies that we have a tendency to believe. It's like he says this. Like, imagine this is poison, right? It's like he says, hey, Tim, it's not really poison. In fact, you'll really like it. It'll be for your good. It'll make you strong. It'll make you happy. You should drink this. Now, if in a moment I drink it, it's just because I'm actually thirsty and it's not poison, it's really water. But the enemy can do this, right? He's constantly doing this. I don't know about you, but man, for me, the last month has been like, I'll wake up some days and I am just, from the moment I wake up, interacting with these lies. The deceitfulness of sin. The enemy saying, this actually isn't going to hurt you the way that God says it's going to hurt you. The lie like, oh, God must not actually want your good. Look at all the things he's keeping back from you. 
He'll say lies like, you're not able to be loved. Completely unlovable. Who could possibly love you? You're the worst. He'll say other lies like, look at the things you've done. You will never be forgiven. The things you have done have crossed the threshold. There is clearly no forgiveness for that. Even you know that. Or he might lie by saying, your life as a whole, just look at it. You'll never amount to anything. Your life is basically worthless. Unredeemable. And the scary thing about all those lies is that he's never quite that on the nose with us. He's clever, and he's able to wrap it up in this kind of way where all of a sudden we're telling ourselves these lies. And the writer of Hebrews says here, man, in order to keep yourself from falling away, you're going to need some friends, some people who know you, who are close enough to you, so that when you start believing those kind of lies, they can come back with truth. When the enemy says you're not able to be loved, that he can, your friend can come back to you and say, no, 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 no. Remember what God has said? Shall anything separate us from the love of God? Anything at all? Romans 8, right? It says that. It says nothing in all creation will be able to, in the end, separate you from the love of God. You are very loved by God. If he lies to us and says, you can't be forgiven. Your friend is able to step into that moment and remind you, man, remember how God achieved forgiveness for you? This wasn't just like some weird off back books type of deal where God just says, yeah, I guess I'll forgive that person. I mean, if they, if they, you know, if they clean up their act, I'll forgive them. That's not it at all. Like Jesus died. His blood was shed. Priceless value. Your forgiveness is not rooted in your ability to do good enough. Friend, it's rooted in the fact that Christ died. The perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. And you've put your trust in him. And when the enemy says, your life cannot be redeemed, it's your friend who's able to come alongside you and say, does that sound like God? Look at the kinds of things that he does. He takes broken vessels and he makes them beautiful. He's constantly making new out of old. He's taking other people's garbage, or what they've cast off as worthless. And he's saying, this is a prized treasure. You are not unredeemable, friend. And if we want to have real strength in our lives, we are going to need friends who are close enough to be able to call this stuff out in us and to encourage us in the right way. Now, personally, I think that we're in a bit of a friendship famine, honestly, in our culture. And speaking as a guy, I will admit we are often not very good at making friends. I don't even know why, but there's something inside of us that, that is like, oh, I should be able to just do it alone. I should be able to be like Rambo, you know, like just give me a machine gun and, and put me out there amongst the enemies. And I'll just take them all out, like just me. There's something inside us that wants to hold that. And I don't know if it's a fear of intimacy, of closeness with other people, or oftentimes, personally, I think it's a desire to be seen as impressive. Like, well, doesn't it mean I'm weak if I actually need other people? I want to be seen as impressive. I want people to look at me and be like, wow, that guy. 
wow, look at that woman. She's amazing. Look at all she can do. And all on her own. But if we want to be really strong, we might not be able to look impressive. Right? We see an instance of this, actually, in Scripture. It's a beautiful little interaction between uh, David and probably the least likely candidate for a close friend in the entire nation of Israel, Jonathan, the son of the current king Saul. Like, Jonathan, by all regards, should be next in line for the kingship. He should be the king next. But God has already spoken. He's like, nope, I'm taking it away from Saul and his family. I've anointed David. David's going to be my king. And Jonathan just loves God so much. He's like, man, God, whatever you want is what I want. And so he just binds himself to David and says, I am going to be your friend. And Saul gets all worked up and anxious because he sees what's happening. He knows that his time is coming to an end and he doesn't want to give up the power and the influence and the prestige and the honor. And so he decides, I'll just take out David. And so he chases him out with spears and eventually musters his army to find where David's at and hunts him down. And David's like in a cave with a few hundred of his close friends and that's it. And King Saul has got his army of thousands bearing down on David. And David was a man's man. If we want to back up for just a second, like of all the people in, in Scripture, like David was intense. Like, even just before Saul had gone hunting for him, Saul was like, you know what? I've noticed that David kind of likes my daughter, and, and she kind of likes him, so I think I'll set him up. And I'll say, David, you know, you can marry my daughter if you go and kill a hundred Philistines and bring me their foreskins as evidence. It's like, what the heck? This is weird stuff sometimes. But David was so intense, he's like, okay, sounds like a good deal. And he goes off, and he kills 200 Philistines. Like, he surrounded himself, his closest friends. Like, the thing that really sets them apart is how many people they can kill. Like, oh yeah, it's this best friend, like, this guy killed 700 this one day, and this one, like, 500. You're like, okay. So, I mean, this is David. Like, he, if anyone, could be impressive, right? Like, he should be able to handle what's going on. But we see in this interaction that David is more or less freaking out. Thinking, like, God, have you abandoned me? What have you done? Like, what, what's next? I, how am I supposed to escape your king who's chasing me with your army? And then this beautiful thing happens where Jonathan finds out. And in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. It was like a 20-mile trip that <laughs> Jonathan is like, 40 miles, I think, round trip. If you start it from Jerusalem, and he hears that his friend is in trouble, and he goes to his side, and he just reminds him. I mean, the following verse, it really, he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. <laughs> he just affirms to him the truth. That God has already spoken to him. And then David moves on from that moment, strengthened and emboldened. And he seeks God's will and God speaks to him. And the long story short, he ends up king. And so I want to ask you, especially you men, when it comes to friendship in your life, 
Do you want to be seen as impressive, or do you want to be strong? Do you want to be seen as impressive, or do you want to actually be strong? You know, on your own, you can be a degree of strong. It will definitely be impressive. You can, you know, pick up your machine gun and go through your life. You can get quite a bit done. But your strength will absolutely be limited. Your capacity is only so much. Now, while there's a tendency in us to think, man, if I involve other people in my life, doesn't that mean I'm weak? It's like, no. It's just, that's another one of those weird lies. It actually means that in the end, you're stronger. I think of even this last week of times where I'm experiencing stress or anxiety or difficulty or, you know, up against the lies of the enemy. And my good friend, Pastor Brad, will just shoot me a text at like way too early in the morning. But it's the kind of text that who would ever complain when a friend texts you and says, hey, I just wanted to remind you. And here's beautiful truth from God. Here's what God has to say about who you really are. Here's what God has to say about what's going to happen, what's going down. In the end, he wins, remember? And you're in him, so you win with him. Hey, just a reminder that you're so loved. Hey, just a reminder that I'm praying for you. Other people are praying for you. So I want to ask you, do you want to be seen as impressive in your life? Or do you actually want to be strong? Because the way you actually get strong is by developing friendships. Kind of tagging on to what Chris said last week, by opening up to people, by letting them access into your heart, into your life, to get to know you. And this isn't just about you, you know. There's other people that probably need you in their life in order for them to be strong, in order for them to hold fast and firm to the end. This is a a joint effort And so if you're thinking right now, like, yeah, okay, 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 I would like to be strong. I would like to develop more friendships, but how? Where do I even go? What do I do? Like, friends are so weird. You just sort of pick out a human and go, I decided I like you. How do you pick out the right human? Well, I'd say the first step you can do is take a look for other people that are also aiming at holistic community. Take a look at other people that are aiming at biblical application and prayer and vulnerability that value spiritual friendships and live out mission in their lives. And again, if you're like, well, where do I find those people? Well, I got great news for you. That's what community groups here at Crossroads are for. And this weekend is like the beginning of a new cycle for community groups. I hope you guys know that when we tell you about stuff like this, it's not just some weird advertisement like, oh, by the way, sign up for our community groups because they're so great and blah, 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 and churches should have community groups. We tell you because we desperately want you to be strong. We want you to grow spiritually, and we know it's not going to happen if you're on your own. That's just not what happens. When we're on our own, we end up succumbing to the deceitful lies of the enemy. And I don't want that for any of us. I want every single one of us to have close friends around us who are able to encourage and even call out in our lives where lies are taking root. And, and people for whom we can do the same for them. 
It's a beautiful thing that God has called us into a family relationship. This is a hard thing for us as Americans to wrap our heads around fully because we just value independence so much we have a whole day dedicated to celebrating it where we blow stuff up. That's a fun day. But like, it belies this internal desire to just do it on our own. But when God saves us, when he rescues us, He doesn't do it individually. It's not just this unique, like, oh, there's a person that's been saved, and there's a person that's been saved, and there's a person that's been saved, and that's just how that works. He brings you into his family. When you put your faith in Jesus as the king of your heart, as your Lord, as the one who gets to call the shots, and as your Savior, the means by whom you can experience forgiveness and right relationship with God again, when we do that, he adopts us into family. There's this beautiful passage in Mark where Jesus basically says, anyone who comes after me and follows me, even if they abandon their family, they're going to receive a hundred times as much. Family and inheritance and all this stuff. And it's like, family, how? Well, I only got one mom. But what he's saying there, Jesus is saying is like, look, you're going to come into family. You're going to have a whole room full, many rooms full, a whole planet full of people who are your brothers and your sisters. When we get saved, we get saved into family, into being together. And I don't want us to miss out on the benefit of that. And if I'm talking today and you hear me and you think to yourself, man, I don't know if I'm actually in that family. But if you also feel this desire of like, man, I kind of want to know what that would be like. Like, again, like we started with Jeff's baptism, like, this is why we exist. We want to serve you. We want to help connect you to Jesus. We want to invite you through Jesus to be a part of our family. And so if that's you right now, I want to invite you to actually text the word Jesus to our number. 720-513-1933. You can text this number and an actual person here at Crossroads will get back to you because we don't want you to go through even that part of that experience alone. We want right from the get-go to help you to get connected to other brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers within the family of God because we want you to be able to hold firm to the end. And so I want to pray for you right now. (laughs) For those of you who want to follow Jesus like today, where this is the day for you. And I want to pray for the rest of us as well when it comes to the value of friends in our life that God would help us. Help us to hold fast to the end by having friends and by being the kind of friend that can call out the lies of the enemy and that can remind each other of the beautiful truth of God. Let's pray. Let's do this right now. Father, Thank you that you didn't save us just into these individual little paths of following you, Lord, but you've saved us into your family. And that we get to be yours together. I love that about the gathering, Father, that when we gather together, to me it's just this beautiful reminder of your family at play and the people that are gathering digitally from their homes right now, Lord, that they are part of our family too. Lord, and that there are people in other churches in our community that they get to be part of our family too. Lord, you've given us so much family. I pray that you would help us 
Help us to take the steps needed in order to actually engage with these family members, to live with them as brothers and sisters, to let them know us, and to let them call out lies and, and remind us of your truth from your word. Would you do this for us today? And Father, I pray that for those who are choosing, like Jeff said, I follow Jesus. If those who are choosing to follow Jesus today, oh God, thank you for them. And I pray that you would let them know immediately that you are with them. Remind them instantly of your presence and draw them into community, Lord, where they can be encouraged, where they can be exposed to your biblical truth, where you can just fill their hearts and their minds with love, with truth, with purpose, with real life. And help us, Lord, to be a church full of the kind of people that see that as an opportunity to be a friend, a brother or a sister, an extension of your very will in this world to love and encourage and remind. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. Oh, would you continue to do it? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. When we take communion, one of the things that I love to do is contemplate a very specific aspect of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. So that it's not just like this vague notion, but that I get to look at this precious diamond from a different perspective, that I get to appreciate a different facet of it. And so as we go to remember Christ's sacrifice today, I want to encourage you to contemplate the beauty that Jesus saved us into family. He didn't save us to leave us on our own but he saved us to be surrounded by other brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers to experience his love together. We remember that on the night our Savior was betrayed, he was at the table with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them all and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember he gave of himself to make us one of his siblings as we eat the bread together. And after the dinner, he took the cup and he passed it to them all and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember that he shed his blood in order to rescue us into his family as we drink the cup together. I love it when we remember Jesus. And we're going to continue to remember Jesus and to celebrate what he accomplished on the cross together through music. And so I want to invite you to stand if you're here, if you're at home, take a posture that makes sense for you. Maybe if you're all by yourself, you might want to stand or you might want to kneel or you might want to dance around a little bit. You know, if the house is crazy, just turn up the volume and let the kiddos dance and just delight in the King and in what he's accomplished for us. If you're here and you want prayer, 
We've got people back here in this corner who would love to be able to pray with you, to encourage you. And if you're online, same thing. We've got people that want to pray with you, to remind you of truth, if that's what you need today. And so let's celebrate what the King has accomplished and is still accomplishing even now as we sing.